I cannot believe Fred McGriff never came close to Hall of Fame induction for 10 years. Shut out on the baseball writers' ballots. But he's a Hall of Famer now. Welcome to In the Bullpen with Mark Dewey, sponsored by Developing Contenders Ministries. You're listening to the Fight Laugh Feast Network. Thank you for joining us. And look who's coming up. High fly ball into right field. She is gone. It was, in my opinion, indeed a crime that Fred McGriff was on the Hall of Fame ballot for 10 years and was not elected by the Baseball Writers Association of America. As a matter of fact, during that 10 years, the highest vote total he received did not even reach 39%. But last winter, he was unanimously selected by the Contemporary Baseball Era Committee. And yesterday, he was inducted into the National Baseball Hall of Fame. Many baseball fans believe it took Scott Rowland longer than it should have to receive the honor. But he was on the ballot for the sixth time, and he passed that needed threshold. In order to be elected to the Hall of Fame by the Baseball Writers Association of America, a person must receive at least 75% of the votes. Scott Rowland, this past vote, received 76.3%. And he was the only player this year elected to the Hall of Fame by the Baseball Writers. So congratulations to Fred McGriff and Scott Rowland, the two players inducted into the Hall of Fame in 2023. Yesterday, we had the induction ceremonies. But like every year, the weekend was filled with activities and interviews. And both the new inductees spoke to the media on Saturday. Here's Fred McGriff. When I came up to the big leagues with the uh, Toronto Blue Jays, I just had great veteran ball players. Um, Jesse Barfield, Lloyd Mosby, um, George Bell and those guys, and they, they, they taught you how to be a professional, go out there and play the game. And so that's what I tried to instill on um, younger players. Play the game the right way and, and lead by example. Go out there and, and play. Because you get a lot of guys, you laugh, but they're in the bench like talking all kind of noise and screaming, then they, they go out there and they don't, they don't do nothing. So it's like, just go out and but play the game right, play the game as a professional. That's why some, I laugh watching games now on TV, you know, because you get, now with social media, you got guys, they're doing stuff just to get on social media. Let me see you, let me see if I can do this to that. And it's, it's a whole different game now. But when I was coming up, it's like, and treat people like you want to be treated and go out there and play the game and play it hard, play it the right way. You try to, so you try to teach that to the younger guys. Did you hear that? As you listened, were you nodding your head and saying, yeah, he's, he's right on? Or did you stick your fingers in your ears and say, I'm not hearing you. I'm not listening to you. I was listening, and I was nodding my head. One thing I think that is not debatable is the game is a different game now. The question is, do we believe that it is fundamentally better in its differences And I'm speaking now about the differences Fred McGriff was speaking to. Or do we think it's better? If you think it's better, 
if you think that the veteran players, like those that were on the Blue Jays when McGriff came up, shouldn't instill certain things into the young or the rookie players, and then when they become veterans, instill those thoughts and, and those attitudes into the younger players, I want you to listen to what he said again about being a professional, about playing the game the right way. Because I think there's a lot that we can learn from that clip that we just heard from the crime dog. I am among, I think, a very large number of fans who say it's about time as it regards Fred McGriff getting into the Hall of Fame. And even though the wait wasn't nearly as long, it did take Scott Rowland six years to receive the needed votes. He, like Fred McGriff, also spoke on Saturday. He, like Fred McGriff, is also well worth listening to. I tried to play with with as much max effort as I could and, and try to make sure that I was going to out-hustle and out-play and, and maybe out-try to prepare, you know, um, as best I could. You know, hitting was never a real natural situation for me. I really had to work on it daily. I really had to grind through every at-bat and... You know, fielding became a little more natural to me along the way there. But uh, me being being able to be inducted, I think, is a reflection of the time of the my time in St. Louis from a, a team success point of view. I mean, we we my career kind of through the team and through the success, I think, became a little more notable with two World Series and you know winning one and four four championships and and just the on the national stage and the team success. I think that that was you know. I don't think there's any doubt that, that that's the part of my career that really speaks the loudest. So notice a couple of things. What Scott Rowland said about the work that needed to go into it, but also that it wasn't me, 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 but we, we, we. It is Scott Rowland, the individual Major League Baseball player or former Major League Baseball player, who is inducted into the Hall of Fame. And yet he acknowledged that a big reason that he has been inducted, and this was on Saturday, so the day before he was inducted, had to do with, in particular, his time with the St. Louis Cardinals. Again, not all about me, but he gave he gave um, tribute, he gave credit to his teammates for getting him into the Hall of Fame. So the two most recent Hall of Famers, Fred McGriff and Scott Rowland, like the others, are in the Hall of Fame for many reasons, but not the least of which includes the attitudes and actions that they displayed throughout their careers and that they spoke about over the last few days in Cooperstown. Now, there's a man who voted for Scott Rowland, maybe all six years, I'm not certain of that, who is also in a Hall of Fame himself, Tom Verducci, who in 2020 became a member of the National Sports Media Association Hall of Fame, and may one day be in the National Baseball Hall of Fame himself. Undoubtedly, he was very happy to see Scott Rowland get in, and I'm sure he enjoyed the weekend. But earlier in the week, he was on MLB Network, and he was not happy at all, as he expressed his frustration. Frustration was something that he has seen going on in the game of baseball this season. And Rays, I know, Tom, you're watching this closely. Go ahead, give it to us. I mean, listen, I know catchers get on one knee because they can steal low strikes, but to me, you have the tying run at third base. That's your priority. Now, that's a tough block for anybody, even a regular stance. Fairbanks here just yanks a four-seamer. But you're so locked in when you're on one knee, your mobility is limited. I'm tired of seeing it, folks, and we've seen it all year. 
games, yes, literally lost on the one knee catching position. Does it make that much of a difference? Like, it, tell it me does. That. Watch, I, I I'll show it. you here. Yeah. Here's right. one knee. That's the winning run on third base. Don't try to frame the pitch. Defend the runner on third base. You're going home on the bus now. You lose, guys. <laughs> I mean, wow, I just don't get oh. it. Listen, we don't teach hitters to hit the same way, stand the same way. We don't teach pitchers to throw the same way. But in stances, down on one knee, look at this. You just don't have the mobility. Nobody's getting in front of the ball, especially when that ball is on the other side of the knee that's on the ground. You're oh. just so limited to how much you, you can't shift your body to get out there. These are all games lost because catchers are on one knee and they don't move. You can't tell me that that play, that being oh. on one knee, is the right way to defend that oh. situation. I Again, I understand. Majority of the time, it works. You're getting better yeah. strikes. You're picking the ball up from below the zone into the zone. Oh, yeah, the winning that. run at third, but perhaps. Please defend right. the yeah. runner okay. on third base. All right. So what do you think about that? One man after watching the video, wrote, Tom sounds like an old man yelling at a cloud. Calm down. Would you be more in agreement with that man? I happen to be in agreement with Tom Ferducci. I think I have seen in the highlights three or four times this season, we're about 100 games into the season, where a team has lost the game, a walk-off loss, because there was a runner on third, the catcher was on one knee, and there was a wild pitch or a passed ball. Now again, we can't guarantee that if the catcher is in a normal stance as it regards blocking pitches, that they could necessarily always block it. I do agree with Verducci, however, that one knee is going to limit your ability to do so. And I've been asking myself the same question that he expressed, or the same he was expressing his views. I was saying the same thing. Why is this happening? Now, I am perfectly fine with one knee catching with nobody on base and less than two strikes on a batter. But with somebody on base or two strikes, I believe that a catcher has to be able to block the pitch so that the runners don't advance, block the pitch so that if it's a swing and miss in the dirt, he can tag the runner or throw him out at first. I have no problem. And I maybe even, I mean, right now I'm not convinced of it, but maybe somebody, a really good catching guy, could convince me that there are times even with runners on and even with two strikes on the batter where one knee catching is better. Like I said, I'm not convinced of that now. But I don't see any way somebody's going to convince me that with the winning run on third base, or for that matter, even a runner on third base, that that is the best way to help your team win. I agree with Verducci's frustration. And I've seen and read many others as well who would say the same thing, including former Major League catchers. The question, of course, is, will anything change? We'll have to wait to find out. Waiting is something that one fan base of a great franchise has been doing, and they've been waiting through some miserable seasons. Last year, their team finally got above 500, finished the season 83-79, and They did so after seasons like this, 52-110. COVID, 25-35 and back in 2020, but let's go back before COVID. 54-108, and 47 wins, 115 losses in 2018. I'm sure by now many of you recognize that I'm speaking about the Baltimore Orioles. Hearn slices one down the left field line into the corner. Oh, yeah. oh 
right off the pole for a left-on-left -left homer. And the Orioles take the lead right back. Who says you can't hit left-handers, big fella? How about that? Ryan O'Hearn continues to hit. He does. That was yesterday. That was an 0-2 fastball elevated that he took the other way. That gave the Orioles a 4-3 lead over the Tampa Bay Rays. They went on to win that game 5-3. Ryan O'Hearn keeps on hitting. I believe he's hitting 313 now on the season, and that was his eighth home run. And Baltimore keeps on winning. They took three of four from the Rays, and they now have the best record in the American League. They are 61 and 38. They've won 61% plus. They have a 616 winning percentage. They are second in Major League Baseball only to the Braves, who have won more than 65% of their games. And the Orioles and the Braves are the only two teams in Major League Baseball with a winning percentage of 600 or above. Now, that's something to be excited about, especially, again, such a great franchise who have won in so many different ways through the years, struggling through some, uh, some of the most horrendous seasons you can imagine. And now, however, I, I really need to return to where I began. As we talk about all of these things going on in the game now, things that I would consider to be not so good, like one knee catching with the winning run on third, and things that are good for the game, and especially if you're an Orioles fan. But I need to return back to the beginning, because I think it all holds together. I think what we saw over the weekend from both Fred McGriff and Scott Rowland is important to consider as we think about things like one knee catching and the Baltimore Orioles. Both of these men understood and spoke about the importance of teammates and winning as a team. And I need to go back to some more things that these men spoke about over the past few days. They mentioned things like this, being a true professional, playing the game the right way, working hard, even as McGriff said, thousands of hours of work. They mentioned that computers cannot measure what's in someone's heart. They said baseball isn't a one-man show. They discussed the importance of toughness and resiliency. And how about this? This is something I didn't know until listening to his Hall of Fame speech. Fred McGriff was cut as a sophomore on his varsity baseball team. His high school did not have a JV baseball team, and as a sophomore, he was cut. He didn't give up. He didn't pack it in. He didn't hang his head. He didn't blame other people. He worked and then was drafted out of high school. These men talked about never being unprepared, never being outworked. And both of these men very clearly talked about the importance of family. Listening to these men in their interviews, listening to these men in their speeches when they were inducted, it was obvious these men were filled with gratitude. Gratitude to their families, gratitude for so many from their earliest years through yesterday that were a part and still remain a part of their journey and were instrumental in their induction into the Hall of Fame. These two men oozed with humility, respect, and honor. Both of their speeches, and they're not long. I think Scott Rollins was about 18, 19 minutes. Fred McGriff's 21, 22 minutes. Actually, less than that because a portion of that was Rob Manford introducing them. 
listen to them. They're must-listen portion. They're, they're must-listen speeches. But I have to share this portion. I can't go without sharing this portion of Scott Rowland's Hall of Fame speech. I dreamed of being a major, ball, major League Baseball player, but I was not raised to be a Major League Baseball player. I was raised, to be honest, to work hard, to be accountable for my words and actions, and to treat people with kindness and respect. I was not taught in today's terminology, exit velocity, launch angle, or spin rate. Uh, Rather, I was taught please, thank you, excuse me, and I'm sorry. Now, I know this is a baseball podcast, and I'm a fuddy-duddy Presbyterian, but can I get an amen? Can I get even a Hammond B. organ for those words spoken by Scott Rowland? Those were outstanding. Both Fred McGriff and Scott Rowland, both of them very worthy of induction. And I have great admiration for both men, for their careers over a couple of decades in Major League Baseball, and for their words and the lessons they taught over the last couple days in Cooperstown. And this is a tribute to them. Well, Scott Rowland having a just outstanding year, his rookie year. He's going to get rookie of the year. For the Atlanta Braves, Fred McGriff. There can't be a more dramatic home run than the one you hit to tie the game in the ninth inning. An eight-time gold glover. Diving stab made by Scott Rowland. You've got to be kidding me. Yeah, that's Scott Rowland saying, back at you, kid. And McGriff, way back, center field. Ballpark's not going to hold this one. To the warning track, to the wall, it is gone! Home run number 400 for Fred McGriff. For the first time since 1982, St. Louis has a World Series winner. The team of the 90s has its World Championship. Both men playing on teams winning the World Series. Between the two men, they hit a total of 809 home runs. And both of them hit some huge postseason home runs in some very important moments. Now, McGriff had that high finish and that kind of high flourish of a finish. Roland was more quick and compact. But of the 809 combined home runs, my question is, how many of those 809 did either one or both of these men stand and stare at them? Run around the bases with gestures or words saying, look at me, look at me, look at me. Of the 809 combined home runs, how many times did either man show up or disrespect another player, another team, or the game of baseball? Obviously, I have not even remotely come close to seeing all 809 home runs. But I do have an educated guess to the answer of my question. And that number would be zero. But that's a conversation for another day. Join us next time for In the Bullpen on the Fight, Laugh, Feast Network. Thank you for listening.